Just for a, an opening scripture, turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And let your eye just run right down to verse 27. Now, what we want to uh, speak on this evening, I just got this study about I got a thought about four o'clock this afternoon. And so I haven't actually written anything but scripture down, but the, the thought, the train of thoughts in my head. So I thought, yep, we'll do that for a Bible study. I was going to bring something else. Simply called, what, what have we? What have we? So Matthew 19, verse 27. <clears throat> Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Notice what Peter says in verse 27. Behold, we have forsaken all, and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? What have we, says? Now, when we look at this, we see how the Lord, in light of what the Lord has left in glory to be with Peter, and what the Lord has left and given up in glory to be on a cross, nothing is in comparison with it. And let's be honest about that. There's nothing can compare to what he has done for us. Peter says, look what we have given up, everything. And sometimes when the Lord lays something on our hearts, it's to give him something, to yield something to him. Sometimes when we give it, we say, well, I left and I gave. I've heard many a time on a testimony, and I know what people mean, they don't mean any harm bad, but, you know, well, I gave this up for the Lord, or I walked away from the world and gave it up for the Lord, and that's good, so we should. But really... The world in comparison to Christ, there's none. Christ in comparison to all the things this world offers, there is no comparison. The salvation and the eternal security that Christ brings in comparison to the world and its temporal offerings, there is no comparison. Nothing can compare to it. And Peter says, we have forsaken all, or we have left all, and we have followed thee. You see, there's two ways to look at this. What have we, in other words? What has Peter got now compared to what he didn't have before? What have you got now compared to what you didn't have before? And what have we in our own material lives now in comparison to what Christ has done for us and given to us? So, for example, we can either have 
something that we have labored for or worked for, or we can have something that we have just received, that we have received. We have. We have. So what do we have? Okay, for example, Acts chapter 19. I'm going to do an awful lot of scriptures flicking through them tonight. Acts chapter 19. And when we, when we are reading this chapter, we're only going to read a couple of verses. That's your right, just run right down to verse 24. Acts 19, verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain to the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Notice what he says. Ye know by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much, saying, They, that they be no gods, which are made with hands. So what the silversmith is saying to the rest of the silversmiths, or those who made idols at the time, he says, we have our wealth from our own hands. And it's so easy for you and I to think that everything that we have is ours. We have our wealth from our own hands. We labor hard, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's good. But really, when we look at it, Deuteronomy chapter 8, please. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And notice what the Lord says to Israel going into the promised land. And I find this happens quite a lot with many Christians. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And let your eye just again run down. We'll not go through it all, but you read that chapter when you go home. And the Lord talks about how he's brought them through the wilderness and what he's done with them and what he's going to give them. And then he says, verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me. This wealth. So the Lord says, look, I want the best for you. Do you know your, your, your heavenly father wants the best for you? He wants you to do well. There's nothing wrong with doing well. He wants you to have those things as long as they don't replace him. And as long as we don't forget, like the man who tore down his barns and built bigger, to fit in that great harvest that he had. And said, I will say to my soul, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says, thy foolish night, thy soul shall be required of thee. He never remembered God who gave him it. And notice what the Lord says here. And thou shalt say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. We have this because we worked hard for it. We have this because we labored. We have this because we stepped out. We have this because, because. And notice what he says in verse 18. 
Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be if thou do it all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which are the Lord, as the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Now notice what he's saying here. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make sure you're in want for nothing. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to give you everything. But the moment that you say it, I have done it. And the moment you have removed me and placed in you, says, then that's the moment, he says, you'll find your demise comes. When you look at our nation, I'm talking about the British Islands, United Kingdom, and you look at how throughout time God blessed this land, little tiny islands. They're only little small islands, really. But God blessed them. And he blessed them with his word. He blessed them with missionary endeavor. He blessed them in the sea beneath. He blessed them in land and under the land. He blessed them in crops. He blessed them in everything. Gave them sea gates around the world. And he done it all. But what has happened now? Britain has demised that even the Russians a year or two ago says, Britain are nothing now. Basically in so many other words. And so when we look at it, what happened to Britain? Queen Victoria was asked by an Indian prince, what was the secret of England's greatness, as he put it at the time? Queen Victoria lifted the Word of God, and it was a copy of the authorized version of the King James Bible. She says, This is the secret of England's greatness. And it's still the secret of Britain's greatness. It's still the secret of the individual's greatness. It's still the secret of the church assembly's greatness, and it's still the secret of the national greatness. And the Lord says, you'll find that those enemies around you will start coming. Can you see a pattern happening here? See a pattern forming now in our nation today? Because what have we done? We have just thrown everything out. Everything to do with the word, everything to do with the Lord, everything from family life, even in the church life. Just this, just yesterday, someone sent me two video clips of a certain place, a certain church. And they were playing pop music and dancing on the stage on a Sunday service. They had the lights dimmed down and the other one with big balls blowing up like big giant beach balls. And the lights were in darkness and there was flashing lights and they were just punching them to pop music. And that was their Sunday service. It's not far from here. It's not far from this building. And I couldn't believe it. You see, whenever we look at this, we have to see that everything, whether it's your life, my life, your family, my family, your marriage, my marriage, whatever it is, whether it's on our schools, our universities, whether, whatever it is, everything needs to be founded again on the word of God. I was also sent a clip of a video of a man from Nigeria. 
And he was preaching outside Westminster. And there was a crowd gathered around him. And this man, I, I couldn't even pronounce his name. It was just, it was an African name. And I couldn't pronounce it. You know what he was preaching to the white folk around him? It's nearly all white folk around him. I think some of you might have seen it. He was preaching of how our nation and our, our forefathers sent over missionaries to Nigeria and other countries like that to evangelize. They came with the word of God and they came to bring Christ to them. And how this was a great nation. And that's the words he was using, a great nation. And he says, but now I am come to evangelize you. And he started speaking and it had tones of prophecy in it as though he was prophesying. And I thought, go on you boy, this is great. He started saying, but the Lord will bring greatness again to Britain. The Lord will put men in government who, who, who love him and who will. This isn't word for word. This is just really, for, it isn't verbatim. It's paraphrasing. And you could sense something about this when this man was speaking. And the people around him started to cheer him when someone else came and brought them the word to tell them, look, it's your God you need to turn back to, the God of your fathers. And the Lord says, whenever you don't, you see your nation will demise. And we see that today. And we have forgotten him. So what have we? I'll tell you what Britain has. We have nothing compared to what we used to have. We have lost nearly all our seed gates around the world. Falklands is one and maybe one or two others. But right round to Singapore, the whole way around, even the Suez Canal at one point, you know, we've lost them all. Uh, Gibraltar's an oil one we still have. But here we can see that the Lord says, you're asking what you've got. And it's not by what we get by the works of our hands. And Britain can go and they can borrow money to try and dig us out of a hole. And we can play it to our own lives as well. We can try and do things to dig ourselves out of the pit. The first thing a man, a woman, a family, a couple or a church assembly, whatever we need to do, right to the nation, the first thing we, could, we should do is turn back to the word of God. Turn back to the word. Churches need to turn back to the word of God. And so whenever the Lord says, this is going to happen, what have we? We still have in our nation a faithful remnant all over the place of men, of preachers, of women who still love Jesus and love his word. But there's more than that. Look at what it says. Let's go to John chapter 19 then. John chapter 19. So whenever we have things, it's so easy to become prosperous. Do you know if you went into the the, the Old Testament, we'll have to do a teaching on it some other time, but in the northern kingdom in the house of Israel, the the time they were most prosperous was the time they were most sinful. And the time they were most prosperous was the time they were most idolatrous. Because they forget God. 
And, and when we look at what we have in the year 2017, we find that when you look back to early Britain or Ireland and you see that some of the slums that were there even then, and the children the way they were, and all those sort of things, what do you find out? You find that people lean on the Lord more because even the scripture says the poor heard him gladly. Because people, it's nothing wrong with having riches, by the way. It's people having riches that becomes their God rather than knowing how to handle them. It can be the same with a job. We don't know how to handle it. It can be the same with anything else. Look what it says in John 19. Let's write on down again. Verse 7. Or maybe I've written the wrong one. Yeah, John 19, verse 7. Why am I in Acts 19? That's why. Hold on. Well, I can't see that. John 19. Let's write on down. Verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now this is at the trial of Christ under Pilate. What did the Jews have? It says, we have a law. We have a law. And the, the strange thing is here, now we need to look at what we have by what we do, or what we have by what we have received. What we have by what we do are what we have by what we have received. The Jews believed in keeping 613 commandments. They had the moral law, which was, we know, the Ten Commandments. But they also believed in keeping the rest, which were traditions of men that Jesus talked about. And it was really impossible to keep them. That's why Jesus says, you're teaching these commandments and you're condemning people for not keeping them, yet you can't keep them yourself. And so when we look at this, we find that the Jews are saying, what do they have? We have a law. And there's nothing wrong with the law of God. Now, I'm talking about the law of God, not the the Talmudism that was added into God's law. I'm talking about the the original uh, law that was given to Moses. The law of the Lord is perfect, says the scriptures, converting the soul. So when we look at the law of God here, what they're saying is we have a law. And he's got to die. So we're using the law. We're using the letter of the law. So the letter killeth. But the spirit giveth life. So what is the difference then in the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? Well, it's like this. If I was to say, okay, we're going to not allow anyone else in here by 8 o'clock at night because we don't want the meeting disturbed. Just for an example. That's the law. That's the law of it. That's it. We're not going to let anybody in. And someone comes and it's just struck eight o'clock and one second past. The spirit of it is we're still in the minute. But for sticking by the law, no, no, you've broken it. So you can see the grace in that as well. And so they're saying, we have a law. He's got to die. So that's what they have and that's what they then looked at for these 613 commandments for salvation. So Jesus comes along and says, search the scriptures for the name you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. 
So now you see the law and the spirit of life. The law on paper, on papyrus if you want, and the spirit of life manifest in Christ. So, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. So we have a law, they said, Galatians 2 and verse 16. Paul writes, Galatians 2, 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. See, here they are trying to keep the law to be saved. And Paul's writing and saying, A man is not justified. Now, the word justified here simply gives the idea of to be declared righteous, just as if you had never sinned. So no matter how much we work, we have the law. So we're good with it here. We have it. And so many people say, we have it. We have this, we have that, but they don't have Christ. And we do this or we do that, we do this ritual or ceremony or whatever it is, but they don't have Christ. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. In fact, the law points to the man and woman and shows them their sin. It actually condemns them. You're never going to make God's heaven. You're a sinner. That's who you are. But now when we look at the spirit of life in it, let's read this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So here now it is, the law tells us you're a sinner. But when we believe in Christ, even though we're guilty as charged, that belief in Christ and what he has done for us and accomplished for us on Calvary's cross by the shedding of his blood, when we trust in him with all of our hearts and he's risen again the third day, then we believe then our sins are no more. And we're not going by the works, but we have not, we, we have by receiving, we have not by works. Does that make sense to you? So we have received by faith and it's not by our works. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. We'll look at Titus chapter 3. Again, listen to what Paul writes. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Notice we have. We have. Notice the, the flesh. Notice the work. Notice the, what we can do. So we can do nothing for our salvation. We can do nothing to keep the law. We'll always break it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us. According to his mercy. See the word according there? See if you mark that word down and you write the word kata. K-A-T-A, that's the English pronunciation of it. It gives the idea of dominance. Pressing down, 
like a pressing, pressing measure. So let's read it with that dominance pressing down in mind. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. We have done. But according to his mercy, or listen, by the dominance of his mercy. Can you see how, can you see how depraved human nature is? Can you see how weak and how impossible it is for us to please God without faith? Can you see how weak and how frail we are with no hope of glory? It's impossible for us to raise our heads to look to heaven, as it were. But now look at this verse. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We have done this, Lord, and we have done that, Lord, and we have wrapped doors, Lord, or we have done ritual, Lord, or we have, we have, we have. None of it counts in the face of God. None of it in his sight. But according it is the, the dominance, the pressing down pressure, God's dominant mercy upon me, a guilty, hell-deserving sinner. A man who was destined for the lake of fire. A woman destined for a devil's hell. Mercy. Mercy broke through. Mercy found you. What's the difference then between grace and mercy? Grace and mercy. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is when we receive that which we do not deserve. When we receive that which we do not deserve, we received Christ. We received salvation. We received redemption. We received forgiveness. We received his spirit. We received from him. We did not deserve it. That's grace. What's mercy then? Mercy is when we do not get that which we do deserve. I'll say it again. When we do not get that which we do deserve. We didn't get eternal punishment. We didn't get the lake of fire. We didn't get the wrath of God. We didn't get the condemnation we deserved. We didn't get the guilty verdict that was over us. We didn't get that which we did deserve. We did deserve those things, but we didn't get them. That's mercy. So when we were in our sin, it's not by what we're doing. People are trying. People are working. People are struggling. People are trying to search for things. And I was told recently of a man, he's searching different religions and somebody's way to you know, this thing or that thing, and they're trying to, you know, these pilgrimages and stuff like that. And they're searching, and dear help them. I mean, it's a, I'm not saying that to belittle anyone. But really, they're still under condemnation. They're still guilty. And they're trying. There's people 
with sincere motives in their heart and they're bowing at statues and idols or, or they're doing rituals or they're trusting in denomination or whatever. And the whole sense of this is it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with me. There's nothing we could do that would account a row of beans for our salvation. It just wouldn't. It just doesn't add up. It's impossible. Totally and completely impossible. And if God did not interfere, and I'm using the word interfere on purpose, if God didn't get involved, what have we? We have wrath on us. What have we? We have condemnation. What have we? We have guilty verdict. What have we? We have a hell to face. We have a lake of fire. We have eternity there. According to his mercy, we deserve that. But mercy dominated it, pressed down on top of it and broke through and says they're not getting that. Why? For my son has paid their debt. So not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Isn't that beautiful? He saved us. You could say that over and over again, it would never tire me. He saved us. Notice this. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly. <laughs> you know what the difference is here? Our God isn't miserable. Our God isn't tight-fisted. Our, your Father, he, you know, he's not a Scrooge. He abundantly blesses you with the Holy Ghost. He abundantly blesses you with his mercy. He abundantly blesses you with his grace. And yes, in every weakness and fault that we have, he still loves us. He abundantly gives. Which he abundantly, he shed abundantly, shed on us abundantly, pardon me, through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What are we? We are heirs of eternal life. We have inherited something that we never had. We have inherited something that we could never attain to. We have inherited. That's what we have. What do we have? Well, we have law. Well, you can keep that because I have grace. We have law. Well, that's okay. And if you want to work and try and work your way to the glory, then that's okay. But the, you'll not be justified by that. It will point out your sin. But grace says, grace says live. Grace says get up and go on when we fall. We have this. Okay. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. 
verse 1. Notice what Paul writes again here. Therefore, now we have in time, that word therefore, you could do a whole study on the word therefore itself. See, when you read therefore anywhere, go back to what is said beforehand and read it again. Because what you're doing is you're bringing all of chapter 4 there and what he is saying in chapter 4 and you're getting into chapter 5 and then he's saying, therefore, what does he mean? What's already been said is being brought into this chapter. So what he said there before, now you bring with you into this. We haven't time to go at it, but he talks about the faith that Abraham had and staggered not at the promises of God, but was being fully persuaded that he was promised that he was able also to perform. And, and, and it says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Read it when you go home in chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is whenever by faith we're saved. See, you can have peace with God and peace of God. Peace with God and peace of God. Peace with God is when we get saved. We're justified by faith and we have peace with God. Peace of God is when we learn to walk with him through the trial. That's the difference. As soon as you get saved, you're saved. That's it, you're saved. You've, you've made peace, people say peace, they've made their peace with God. I, I trust that that means that they know what that means and people have got saved. But when we're saved, we've made our peace with God. But as we walk in our walk, and the troubles come and the trials come, the peace of God is, it's not that God removes you from your trial, but he gives you the ability to be calm within it. So, and having made peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, what do we have? We have peace. See the word peace? It gives the idea we have a tranquilized heart. My heart is tranquilized. Verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Notice we have access now. First, in first one, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. First two, we have access by faith into this grace. What does he mean we have access by faith into this grace? I'm going to put it in a blunt Simple term. There may be a better way to put it, but let me put it like this. I think all of us, if we were honest with ourselves, would say, there's times that we know we have, del- we have even deliberately failed the Lord. <coughs> and at those times, when that conviction comes to our heart, and we may even say, Lord, would you even, can I even approach your throne now? Learning grace is this, not that it's a license to sin, but it's an empowerment not to sin. But learning grace is this, that we have now, even no matter how we feel, we have access by faith. And the faith is this, that Lord, I may be no good, 
I may have let you down. I may have sinned or whatever it is. But Lord, I'm trusting that you have a bigger heart than mine. And grace says that I'm not going to get what I do deserve. You deserve to throw me away, Lord. You deserve to finish with me. You deserve to forget me. But grace, I have access. By faith, I believe you'll forgive me. Why? Because your word says so. So we have peace with God. And then we have access by faith into his grace. Look at verse 11 of Romans chapter 5. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. What do we have? We have now received the atonement. Now, the word atonement there gives the idea, yes, atonement usually gives the idea of a covering. We've been covered by him, by the blood of Christ. But the word here actually gives more of an idea that we have an atonement which reconciles me to my Father. So we have peace with God. Verse 2, we have access by faith and the grace. And then again, in verse 11, we have received the atonement. We have received this ministry of reconciliation in Christ where he joins us together. So as it were, if you want to put it, and I know it's not exactly like this, but Christ takes the hand of the man and woman. And Christ, as it were, has the other hand of the Father. And he is the reconciliation between us. He's the conduit. So we have that. It doesn't say we will have that. It means you as a Christian now have it. So we have far more even already than what the word has. We have more than the law. We have more than our hands have made. We have more than we have left all this to follow thee, Lord. What is it when we measure this up? The Christ, but nothing. Five minutes and we'll go on for a bit more. We're we're nearly getting there. Chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 5. It says, For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. So the idea here is now that we have died, but like Christ has died, as it were, we have died to self. And so because we have died to self and Christ is living in us, we find here that we have been planted. So you're planted in Christ. Now, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman or my father is the gardener. So he's going to plant us. You are planted in Christ and all that he is. You're planted in Christ by the father. You are planted forever. And because we die in this life, Because he has risen again, we are also going to be planted in Christ forever. Risen with Christ. And we'll be changed to be like Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Notice verse 16 says, For who hath known the mind of him, that is of God, who hath known the mind of the Lord, for he that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Right now, with the Holy Spirit in you and in me, we have right now the mind of Christ. That's why when things happen that aren't right, you know they're not right. That's why you see the difference in our nation. That's why when you look at things, you say, this is, this is horrendous. That's why you can tell right and wrong in the sense of morality. People's morals outside of Christ are different. Some might think one's more moral than the other. But when you're in Christ, you judge it by the word of God. You have the mind of Christ. We have that now. See the difference you are? How different you are than the world? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's write on down again to verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You have a treasure. You have the truth of the word. You have a treasure. You have Christ within you. You have a treasure that the world can't afford. And what is it for? That you can see that the excellency is not of you and I, but of God. So everything that we endeavor to do, once we start like Deuteronomy 8, forgetting and saying our own hands have gotten, we have done this ourselves. That treasure is not... It's of loss of value in the sense, not in its own self intrinsically, but to us. So you have a treasure and everywhere you go, you need to remember, Christian, that everywhere you go, whether you're in work or river, you're worth more than everything else that's around you. That's what the scripture says. Second Corinthians 4, yeah, we'll look at Ephesians 1 and 7. Ephesians 1 and 7. Notice what Paul says again. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. There's that word according again. Again, here it means with a dominance of the riches of his grace. In whom we have redemption in Christ through his blood. What do we have? Redemption. We have, not we will have. It's important to know that you're saved now and you have it now. Everything that Christ has done, he has given it to us and we have it. We possess it. Chapter 6, verse 19. Chapter 6 and verse 19. Oh, sorry, I've looked at the wrong ones. Chapter 1, verse 11. Pardon me. Pardon me. I've looked at some Hebrews. That's the next one. Verse 11. In whom we have obtained an inheritance. We have already obtained it in Christ. Being predestinated. There's a big word people argue about. Do you know what that really simply means? That God, before there was a sinner on the earth, there was a saviour in heaven, God gave you to his son. In the mind of God, you were already saved. In the mind of God, you were his. 
being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of, of his own will. So here we have obtained an inheritance by God, from God, from the foundation of the world. And even though we were that man, that woman, that, the, uh, that were no good, his grace broke through, his mercy came, and we find it was after the counsel of his own will. That's him and his sovereignty. Let me make a statement that people argue over. If Christ died and people could say yes or no to Christ, then he could have died in vain. If Christ died for everyone and people would say yes or no to Christ, then Christ could have died in vain. I've died for you, I don't want you. And he's died in vain. But when God says here, in the predestined, electing love of God, he says here, I'm giving them to my son. Christ comes, perches us on the cross, and he says, this is my sovereign will. He says, Father, those whom you have given me have not lost any. He also says, No man can come unto me except the Father which sent me. Draw him. Ah, Time's gone. There's too many of them. I have a whole lot more there. I just jotted them down. Someone's been through today. It took me about an hour just to jot them down. What have you? What have we? We have heaven. We have everything in Christ. We have the Father behind us. We have his Spirit within us. We have his Son for us. What more do we need? Amen. Bless you, everyone.